and welcome to the Cry Baby Book Club Podcast. If you're a new club member, I suppose an introduction is in order. Hi, my name is Theola, and I guess what you need to know about me is that I am a crybaby. And I like to think of myself as a very proficient crybaby. <laughs> and by that, I mean crying and getting emotionally attached and invested to books and fictional characters comes very easily to me. Thus, this podcast was born. So, in each episode of the Crybaby Book Club podcast, I will be conducting a book club session where we'll do all the things book clubs do, like talk about our favorite parts in the book, gush about our favorite characters, discuss bits we didn't really enjoy, talk about quotes that really hit home, and most especially, in Crybaby Book Club fashion, we'll unashamedly reveal which parts of the book made us cry. Now before we jump into today's book session, here are a few reminders for all Crybaby Book Club members. Number one, to keep this podcast open to all, there will be a short spoiler-free book discussion at the beginning of the podcast. Just enough to get you interested to get yourself a copy. After our spoiler-free book discussion, the rest of the episode will be a deep dive into our chosen book. And when I say the rest of the episode, I mean 90% of this book session will be an in-depth discussion about our chosen book. So to all those who haven't read the book we're talking about today, I'll make sure to give you a cue to hit pause, get yourself a copy of the book, finish it, and find your way back here. No pressure. Take your time. This episode is not going anywhere. Number two, I'm not a critic, so don't expect a book review. I'm not going to tell you if this book is good or bad. I'm just going to tell you about what it made me feel. I'm not really qualified to say which books are good or bad. I'm not a literature major or a PhD holder or a best-selling author. I'm only an expert at being a complete softie. Now that's about it for Club Memos. Thank you so much for joining today's book club session. No water signs were harmed in the making of this podcast. At least permanently. Get yourself a box of tissues and your copy of today's chosen book and let's begin. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Cry Baby Book Club podcast. So, did you enjoy that little pre-recorded intro there? Yep, that's gonna be a thing now for every episode so that I could like easily welcome everybody into the podcast, to the book club. So, yes, welcome to the second episode, book session number two. Before we begin, I just want to say a big, big, big I love you. <laughs> <laughs> to you, dear listener, to everyone who listened to the first episode, I had no idea, I had no expectations that people were actually gonna pay attention to this little passion project of mine. I was so overwhelmed and so surprised with the reception that I received when I posted the first episode and I'm just so, so, so grateful. I don't think that I'll ever get tired of saying that. So thank you if you listened to my first episode and you're also listening to this one. I'm just 
floored by this amount of support. Thank you so much. God bless you, you lovely human being, you. And even if you're a newcomer, I still have so much love for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this book session. We will be talking about, like I said in previous episode, we will talk about the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Now, can I just say, I'm like at my third re-record of this because this book is just jam-packed with so much happenings. Like what they say in my homeland, ang daming ganap. So much happened. It's so hard to cover everything. But we're gonna soldier on. We're gonna do this because Evelyn Hugo's story is a story worth telling. So let's begin with book session number two, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. So here's a synopsis of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo in my own words, spoiler free of course. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid is a story about Evelyn Hugo, a living Hollywood legend, and how she hires an unknown magazine reporter to write her autobiography. This magazine reporter is the other protagonist of the story, Monique Grant. Now, we don't understand yet why Evelyn wants to finally unveil her life story and why she chose Monique out of the thousands of writers for a hire in New York City. But later on in the book, we find out how their lives intersect in the most tragic way. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is a tell-all of Evelyn Hugo's life with each of her seven husbands. The question, though, in Monique Grant's mind is, out of all her lovers... Who is the love of Evelyn's life? So this being the spoiler-free portion of the book session, here are my general comments. First things first, this book is such a rush to read. So, so gripping. Like, if I had a word for this book, it would be rush. Like, it's such a rush such a thrill it's the best book to pick up if you're in a reading slump because you will not put this book down it really plays like a movie in my head and for once i want this book to be adapted into a movie or maybe like a mini series like the queen's gambit netflix come pick this up hello don't sleep on this now for those who haven't read the book yet here is my recommendation for you although i don't think it's gonna work anymore because you just heard my synopsis but But going in blindly, like completely blind with this book is literally the best way to go. Because when I picked this book up, I didn't watch any book reviews from any booktubers. I didn't even read any reviews on Goodreads. I just went in blindly. All I did was read the back of the book. So with that, you know, going in blindly, having no expectations at all, this book really took me by surprise in the best way what i love about it is you don't really expect it to be profound but it really has its moments and here's another thing i really love about this book it plays like a taylor swift song (laughs) i feel like evelyn's life her life story is something taylor swift would write about actually if you listen to the lucky one by taylor swift in the red album that song is literally like this book the whole mood of it it has that old hollywood glamour narrative i was actually making a playlist for this book because i do that sometimes i make playlists for the books i read 
And a few of the songs on there is, of course, this one, Lucky One, top song, literally OST of this book. Second would be Norman fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. And then there's another Taylor Swift song there, The Last Great American Dynasty, because the way Taylor wrote The Last Great American Dynasty is so reminiscent also of this book because it tells the story of this glamorous person from the past and connecting it to this person from the present. So if that's Taylor to Rebecca and The Last great american dynasty it's monique to evelyn in the seven husbands of evelyn hugo anyways i just went off a tangent about taylor swift that might happen more in the future because i'm a swifty you guys and i feel like that's a given because i'm a softy <laughs> okay another thing about this book is it's such a ride <laughs> Like, you really can't rest easy. Like, you get anxious easily. Hmm, I would be reluctant to recommend this because it's just you're always at the edge of your seat. And when something good happens to Evelyn or to any of the characters, you just know, you just know that the next three chapters are gonna be painful. So much of the good that happened unravels in the next chapter and it's like stressful, just a stressful experience sometimes, especially since I had to revisit this book to skim through it, look through all my tabs and man, what a stressful experience, but I did it for you guys. So yeah, those are my general comments about the seven husbands of evelyn hugo definitely one of my most favorite reads this year it's definitely worth picking up it's a great standalone if you're just looking for a book that you can't put down that you will just inhale this is definitely the book for you now that's all for the spoiler free content to all those who have not read this book yet this is your cue to pause this episode save it for later go get yourself a copy of the book if you're interested in reading it and then when you're done you can come back totally cool with me i'm patient this episode is not going anywhere you can take your time now for all those who have read the book let's move forward final warning spoiler free content ends here if you didn't read a book and you choose to keep listening i will not be held liable for damages <laughs> all right now let's get into the good stuff <laughs> Since I couldn't possibly go through each of my book tabs for this book, unlike When Breath Becomes Air, it was such a short book, so it was easy for me to literally go through each tab with all of you. But like I said, so much happened in this book and I feel like I'm not even going to cover everything. I've decided that the way I want to do this book session is to really highlight the strengths of Taylor Jenkins Reid as a writer. And if you've read this book, you know her signature move is creating complex and compelling characters. And lest we forget, she is quite a master at plot twists. <laughs> Let's begin with our girl Monique. So at the beginning of the book, our girl Monique Grant was quite, well, not quite. She was very self-deprecating. She certainly was not very confident about herself or her skills or her place in her career. And she's also in the beginning of this divorce. So she is in this very vulnerable place. And to be honest, I wasn't really loving it because I like my girls empowered. But I feel like her characterization in the beginning of the book, the way she was, the way she acted was very intentional for Taylor Jenkins Reid. 
to do. Because she was basically the perfect girl to meet a woman like Evelyn Hugo. In that sense, I really felt like they were meant to meet. That Evelyn was a huge driver for Monique's character development. And it's not just unconscious. Like we really do see her coming into her own later on in the book. Especially like on page 143. When she was talking to Frankie. She was really like putting her foot down. Really asserting herself. Like I wrote a footnote. And I was like, yes queen. We love character development. Here she says, I think I can deliver you a massive headline-making Evelyn Hugo story, I say. But if I do, I want to be promoted. I can hear skepticism enter Frankie's voice. What kind of promotion? Editor at large. And Frankie says, no. And then she says, then I have no incentive to get Evelyn to allow the piece to be in Vivant. And like, oh, yes, girl. We love to see it. We truly love to see it. She also does this with Evelyn, you know, she applied what she learned from Evelyn with Evelyn. <laughs> this happens later on in page 146 when Monique says, I have to ask and be willing to be told no. I have to know my worth. And then she goes on in this conversation a little bit towards the end of the page where she says, You agree to the cover photo or I'm out. And then Miss Evelyn was like, Excuse me? And then she was like, you want me to write your life story? I want to write your life story. But these are my terms. I'm not going to lose my job for you. And the way I keep my job is I deliver an Evelyn Hugo feature with a cover. So you either persuade me to lose my job over this, which is only possible if you tell me when this book is being sold, or you do this. Those are your options. And then Evelyn gets a little sparkle in her eye and goes like, Oh, <laughs> oh look at you. Evelyn looks at me and I get the impression that I am more than she bargained for. And I feel good about that. There's a smile forming that is hard to keep in. You're having fun with this, aren't you? She says. I'm trying to protect my interests. Yes, but you're also good at it. And I think you're delighting in it a bit. I finally let the smile out. I'm learning from the best. Yes, she is learning from the best. <laughs> I really love this page because I love to see it. I love to see a girl grow from this insecure writer to a writer who knows her worth, who knows her skills, who's getting and taking what she deserves. One thing I'll say though about Monique is that I can admit I definitely resonate with this woman. I know, I know, I went on and on about saying how I didn't love that she was self-deprecating, but I resonate with her. I am way too polite for my own good. I've had so many experiences where I couldn't say no, where I was too polite to assert myself, and that's kind of why I was just rooting for this woman this whole book. Every time she stood up for herself, it felt like a win for me too and can i just say my greatest takeaway from this book i learned from evelyn too the same way monique learned from evelyn sure enough when i had to talk to let's say a client when i had to name my price and my terms i stood my ground when someone tried to shortchange me i asserted myself and said no this is my value this is my worth and i hope you respect that so yeah thank you miss evelyn Hugo. Speaking of Evelyn Hugo, our other protagonist, let's talk about her. I just want to give props to TJR. Can we just say TJR because it's a long name? I just want to give props to TJR for truly writing Evelyn 
in such a tantalizing way like my brain sometimes short circuits because like the way that the people in the world of the seven husbands of evelyn hugo view evelyn hugo is like this sensual alluring compelling woman that's out of reach almost like aphrodite herself that's how the people view her right but i as the reader who is not from that world also had this fascination around her you know like i was also eager to learn more about her story to learn more about this icon reading her life seeing her move through every single phase was just intriguing I could not get enough of Evelyn Hugo. And she really has that addicting thing about her. Obviously, everybody was intoxicated by her. And Evelyn Hugo is just so charismatic, confident, and especially cunning. Like, she's certainly a Slytherin. Because this girl's Machiavellian tendency, she's up there on the scale. You know, she is willing to do anything to get what she deserves, to get what she wants, to protect the people that she loves she really believes this philosophy of like the end justifies the means you know all's well that ends well i personally don't agree to that i definitely don't subscribe to that kind of philosophy but i gotta say i kind of respect her you know there was this part in the book where it was a news article about Evelyn's speech at the human rights campaign. This is really towards the end. This is page 383 where Evelyn said, I've been given so much in this life, but I've had to fight tooth and nail for it. If I can one day leave this world a little bit safer and a little bit easier for those who came after me, well... That just might make it all worth it. Say what you will about Evelyn Hugo, but everything she did in her life was either to get herself out of a really bad situation, like how she had to get herself out of Hell's Kitchen, to go to Hollywood, how she had to do Bhutan Train, to be a star again after her career was ruined by Dawn. And she never did anything out of a lack for love. She never really intended to do these bad things just to do evil things, just to indulge a dark side of her no she did these questionable things in her life to protect the people she loves like what she did for harry how she had to lie about that whole car crash or what she did for celia how she had to get it on with mick reva just so that her relationship with celia and their careers wouldn't be tarnished yes she has her own evelyn way of doing things but a part of me empathizes with this woman and where she comes from and that hufflepuff in me <laughs> wants to understand her and all throughout the book while i was reading every time i was about to judge evelyn for something that she did i feel like taylor jenkins reed creeps in a little bit and goes all can you blame her so that's my two cents about evelyn hugo am i an evelyn hugo apologist a little <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing about her. She's such a great character, you know. But I will say, I don't hate her. I don't hate the woman. And even Monique, at the end of the book, she was like, Forgiveness? Now, we'll keep coming back to Evelyn as we talk about the rest of the book. And of course, her seven husbands. But first, let's talk about my favorite one. 
And I think it comes as no surprise that my favorite husband, my favorite character in the book is Harry Cameron. The reason why Harry is my favorite character or in my opinion, the best husband out of the seven husbands is because out of all the lovers Evelyn has had or even out of all the people in Evelyn's life, Harry Cameron is the only person who truly, truly, truly loved Evelyn unconditionally. In page 190, there was this line in the book that Harry said that really proved this argument of mine. <laughs> this was when Harry said, But I like you this way. I like you impure and scrappy and formidable. I like the Evelyn Hugo who sees the world for what it is and then goes out there and wrestles what she wants out of it. You can take two things out of that statement. First, Harry sees Evelyn as who she truly is. All the good, all the bad, and all the nasty. Number two, in spite of all that, Harry accepts and loves Evelyn just the way she is. That who she is, or whoever she's becoming, or whoever she was in the past, Evelyn Hugo is enough in Harry Cameron's eyes. She doesn't need to change or act a certain way or be like someone else, Harry Cameron sees Evelyn Hugo and loves her with no agenda. Because honestly, in my opinion, every other lover that she's had in her life always had a hidden agenda when it comes to Evelyn. They always wanted something from her or wanted her to be a little bit more like this or a little bit more like that. But Harry loves Evelyn unconditionally. There's nothing he would change about her. And that's just the purest kind of love. And of course, we know that he's gay and he would never love Evelyn in that way. But unconditional love isn't really exclusive to romantic love. And I love this line. It's my favorite Harry Evelyn line in the book. This was when Evelyn just gave birth to Connor, Harry and Evelyn's baby. And this is in page 249 where Evelyn says, If there are all different types of soulmates, I told Harry one afternoon when the two of us were sitting out on the patio with Connor, then you are one of mine. <sighs> you know what's funny? 80% of my annotations for this book are just me going, Harry is the best. Harry is the sweetest. Harry is the best man, best BFF. And I love how it was acknowledged in this book that soulmates don't have to be romantic. That your best friend could be your soulmate because they would know you just completely. And I love that. I really love that for Evelyn because so much shit happened to this woman and she deserves a man like Harry Cameron in her life. So with Harry being my favorite character, you bet that when he died, I was weeping. And I was so naive to make him my favorite character and not have a suspicion that at some point he was gonna die in the book. And of course, at that part of the book, when you find out that he dies, you only know half of that story. Later on, you'll realize the other twist because that's already a plot twist on its own but it's actually like a two-in-one plot twist and we'll talk about it later but yeah completely devastated i could honestly do a separate podcast about how much i love him but yeah that's my little spotlight moment for him now that we've talked about the best husband let's talk about the other six husbands i'm gonna make this brief because I have a lot of angry feelings about the other husbands. Harry's gonna get the most screen time out of all of them. If I really, really went into each of them, this would be a two to three hour podcast. Anyways, let's go. First, let's talk about Ernie Diaz. A 
part of me feels sorry for him because Evelyn only used them to get out of Hell's Kitchen. But then I remember that he married a minor. You know, Evelyn as a minor. She was only, if I'm not wrong, 14 or 15 at the time. I know, I know. Evelyn lied about her age and everything. And we can't blame him. But come on. It was kind of implied that he kind of knew that she was lying. So yeah, for that reason, not really a big fan of Ernie Diaz. Next, let's talk about Don Adler. Um, hate him. <laughs> hate him so much. He did not only physically abuse Evelyn multiple times but he also cheated on Evelyn and we only know of one account of cheating but I'm pretty sure he's been cheating that whole time. Yes I know that later on he sort of redeemed himself. He apologized to Evelyn for everything but in that conversation they were having in the diner he was like you know what if I wasn't in such a low point in my life I probably wouldn't be apologizing to you or something like that and so yeah that really doesn't count for me. <laughs> it really doesn't count hate him also the fact that that movie they did together again years later caused the little family that evelyn had to just unravel next let's talk about mick riva patron saint of men are trash perfect candidate for such a chapter but i don't really want to talk much more about mick riva because i hate his guts <laughs> common theme about me and the men that Evelyn has married. I just want to talk about that chapter with Mick Riva. It was so, so, so good. I think one of my favorite chapters in the sense that it was so well done, well written. It's a, it's a sad chapter, of course, but the way Taylor Jenkins Reid wrote that, brilliant. And the chapter I'm talking about is chapter 28. And chapter 28 needs to win an Oscar or something, an Emmy, a Tony, a Nobel Prize. That chapter really played like a movie in my head. It was such a rush to read and the switch of perspective from first to second was so exhilarating. Reading it was so thrilling. It was such like a whirl of events. It felt like I was tipsy on expensive champagne and Taylor Jenkins read really popped off on that chapter. This was the chapter when Evelyn was seducing Mick. They were in Las Vegas and I love how this chapter shows Evelyn's prowess in the art of seduction. She truly is a master of it. She knows how to wind up a man. She knows what to do and what to say to get the outcome she wants. She's not just a player of this game. She invented it. And there are these little moments in the chapter when she thinks of Celia. You know, it always keeps going back to her. And of course, it's because she's going through this for her. And those moments where she's thinking about Celia, those sweet and tender moments, really brought a contrast to the events that were unfolding. So like I said earlier, Mick is really the best candidate for this whole scheme. Evelyn's plans were hanging on that variable that men are trash. And true enough, he fit the role. Evelyn's scheme went according to plan. She got him to Vegas. She got him drunk and high on winning in the casino. She winded him up enough that he would be itching to marry her. He actually marries her. He has his way with her. And then in the morning, he gets their wedding annulled. And I just love, 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 love how all of that happened in one chapter and how it ended with Evelyn saying, if only they gave out Oscars for this shit. Like queen things. A plus right there. I won't say a lot of good things about Mick Riva, but I will say a lot of good things about chapter 28. Unfortunately though, the nightmare that is Mick Riva does not end there because we find out that Evelyn gets pregnant. 
Next, let's talk about Rex North. Now, I don't really have a lot of things to say about Rex North. He wasn't a bad husband or person to Evelyn. He's a pretty decent guy. Their fake marriage made Evelyn the highest paid actress of her time. And we love that for her. We love fake marriages. I was just worried that that was gonna lead to them falling in love. Because, you know, that's a trope, right? That's a common (laughs) romance trope. That, you know, they have a fake marriage and they end up falling in love. But, you know, that doesn't happen. So yeah, Rex North not bad not bad the next husband of course is harry cameron i've said it all already this is the i love harry cameron fan club and i'm the president now the next husband is max gerard and yep i don't like this one too max gerard is the director of bhutan train and later on directed another movie with evelyn and like every other man he fell in love with evelyn but 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 he only fell in love with the idea of evelyn one of my favorite quotes in this book is in page 297 where evelyn says men go to bed with gilda but wake up with me now if you are a rom-com gal you would know that this was also a line used in notting hill aka my favorite rom-com of all time yeah when i got that line it just clicked in my head like oh max was just in love with the idea of evelyn and i knew that this marriage wasn't gonna last and true enough it was just like dawn he was only sweet at the beginning and was just straight up awful to evelyn towards the end so he belongs in the trash with dawn adler and mick reva rex north and ernie I guess we don't have to put them in the trash. (laughs) Okay, last but not the least, we have Robert Jameson. Now, of course, we know that Robert Jameson is actually the brother of Celia. And he and Evelyn got married so that Evelyn and Celia could be together in peace. And you know what? We appreciate him. If it came down to picking a top two of my favorite husbands, of course, number one would be Harry Cameron. And number two would be Robert Jameson. I really appreciate him because he was a really great stepdad to Connor. And after losing Harry... Connor sort of needed that father figure in her life. And their relationship in the book is so endearing. They would play poker together. I love that he was able to find a family with Evelyn, with Celia, and with Connor. And we know that he and Evelyn had a friendly marriage. They moved to Manhattan at some point and even redid the whole apartment. And they would throw some charity banquets for the LGBT. So we love Robert Jameson. So if you think about it three out of her seven marriages that would be harry robert and rex were actually pretty good and the other four were just pretty terrible although sadly three is less than four and she's had more time with bad men than with good ones Anyways, let's get down to the thesis statement of Monique's book. So when she was talking to Evelyn and she was thinking about how she was going to structure this book, she realized that the question that she needed to answer was, out of all her lovers, which one was the love of Evelyn's life? To Monique's surprise, it's not any of her seven husbands. It's actually Celia St. James. I'm going to be honest with you. I know that Celia is the love of Evelyn's life, but sometimes I just want to shake her. (laughs) She's definitely not my favorite character. Feel free to disagree with me. It's totally fine. Change my mind. DM me on Instagram at the Crybaby Book Club. Let's talk about it. But I just have a problem with her. She's not bad. Okay, she's I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I hate her. 
But there were just moments that I really didn't love. And I remember I had a book club discussion with my friend Fifi. Shout out Fifi, if you're listening. Where we just talked about The Seven Husbands, right? After we both finished reading it. And literally like 60% of our conversation was just us complaining about Celia St. James. Again, you can disagree with me. It's totally fine. But I just want to talk about three moments in the book where... I was just frustrated with her. And the first one is when Evelyn and Celia were spotted holding hands in this club when they were watching McReva perform. And sure enough, the next day, they were all over tabloids. People were conspiring that they were lesbians and that they were together. And of course, Evelyn, as who she is, she wants to protect what she's been working hard for. She wants to protect Celia and of course her from any harm. She starts scheming, you know, she starts making up a plan as to what to do to invalidate whatever the tabloids were saying. So plan was to, you know, get it down with Migriva. And while they were talking about this plan, Celia said at some point, what's really going on here is that you're not willing to give it up for me. Firstly, I really felt like Celia was so ideal when she said that i get it if this was a conversation happening in 2021 but this was 1960 if they came out as a gay couple they would not only be excommunicated from hollywood but they would be the target of violence at this time there was a lot of violence around queer people and secondly her saying what's really going on here is that you're not willing to give it up for me is totally not fair to say to evelyn Evelyn fought tooth and nail to get to where she is now. And I understand if she wants to protect that. And at some point, Evelyn said, I worked my ass off and was married to an asshole who knocked me around. And I did that so I could be famous, so I could live the life we're living. And if you think I'm not going to protect that, you've lost your mind. And I know that there's this whole side of it that is just like, oh, Evelyn's just thinking about her fame, her money, all these shallow things. But this woman rose from poverty and it was not an easy journey for her we know it we were there with her from point a to point b and so i understand again why she wants to protect that and i'll say it again this is 1960 this is a conversation that would go well in 2021 but i do sympathize with the part where celia said it's not wrong it shouldn't be wrong to love you how can it be wrong i agree a hundred percent a hundred percent about that it's not wrong it shouldn't be wrong love is love and that's where I stand on this. But at that point in time, if they came out, hands up in the air, shouting at the top of the Hollywood Hills that they're two women that love each other, they would just be the victims of violence, of oppression. And I understand that Evelyn isn't doing this because she's ashamed of her love for her. It's because she just wanted to protect Celia from, from all that negativity and also from throwing away all that they've worked hard for. I mean, they're one of the greatest actors at the time in Hollywood and their careers would just go down the drain completely. So that's the first moment that I want to talk about. The next one is when Celia finds out that Evelyn is pregnant with mixed baby and she totally flipped and what i hate about this is because they got into a really really big fight that separated them for years and it all came down to miscommunication and because none of them wanted to put their pride down and call the other one on the phone <sighs> i hate I hate, I hate it when this happens, when everything could just be fixed with just one conversation of clearing things up. Here's what I think about the fight. Yes, 
Celia, it's valid that you're mad that your girl slept with that guy. But also, I mean, it was pretty clear that Evelyn was gonna have to do that. He is a man, after all. That's all he's after. And that's what she had to give. And yes, the means or the way Evelyn tried to solve the problem is questionable, but it worked. And it was what Evelyn Hugo would have done. It was not out of character. And even as the reader, when Evelyn was talking about this plan, you know, it really goes without saying that she was gonna have to sleep with him. I just don't like how Celia keeps making this out to be that Evelyn was being selfish and that she was not thinking of her but Evelyn literally did that for her I don't she did not enjoy a second of that nothing about that brought any joy or pleasure to her she did that to protect Celia here she is again being so idealistic as if they could walk out that mansion right now holding hands and the world wouldn't bat an eyelid in 1960s Hollywood that wouldn't fly but like I said if it was 2021 and they posted a photo on Instagram that they've been together this whole time people People would love it. I would love it. I would be all over it. But that wasn't the climate at the time. Sure, it was a buzzkill that Evelyn was just being so paranoid and protective about everything, but it was really just to protect her. That's her intention. I'm just really so exasperated at the outcome of this fight because they literally ended their relationship right there and then. It went out of hand. They could have resolved it if they just communicated communicated with each other but nope neither of them reached out to one another and they didn't speak for years they lost all that time didn't speak for three years and in those three years they were just aching for one another wishing that the other one would call it was an unnecessary pain that could have been fixed over a call or a cup of coffee but no they let it draw for three years and that's just guys you lost all that time and of course we know that later on evelyn talks about how she regrets that she never had the guts to pick up the phone and call her <sighs> This is the kind of behavior that frustrates me. <laughs> okay, my last grievance about Celia St. James is in page 238. So in this part of the book, Ev and Celia were on the phone and Celia just won an Oscar. And she was wailing about how Evelyn wasn't there, celebrating with her. And Evelyn said, I wanted to be there. Didn't she know that? Didn't she know that I couldn't be there and that it killed me? Why did it always have to be about what all of this felt like for her? But here's what really ticks me off about Celia St. James. When Celia was saying all these things about how she wanted Evelyn to be there with her, blah di da di da Evelyn says, I wish I was too, I told her. But it's better this way. You know that. And then she responds. She responds, ah yes, so that people won't know you're a lesbian. First of all... Evelyn is bisexual. Evelyn is bisexual. We know that. She is not a lesbian. She loves both men and women. And I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate how Celia always denied the rest of Evelyn. She never really accepted how she was attracted to both men and women. And there's always 
that stigma around bisexuality or bisexual people. Some people can't seem to wrap their heads around the fact that bisexual people, it's in the name, bi, they're attracted to both genders, women and men. People seem to always discount bisexuals, that if you were bisexual and you were with the opposite gender, you're straight again. Or if you were bisexual and you were with a woman, maybe you're just a lesbian, maybe you're not bisexual. And that pisses me off. Okay, even Monique made this mistake in the book. Miss Monique is really not graceful. You know, she is not careful with her words, even with Evelyn. Monique was like, oh, so you're lesbian. And then Evelyn was like, girl, have you been listening? I love men. I have been with men. I have made love with men. I have married men. And I love Celia. She's the love of my life. So why why is that just lesbian? I'm bisexual girl. I love how this book shows how glaring that is. And props to TJR for putting a light to that kind of struggle that bisexual people have. And with all that said, I think my conclusion is that only Harry Cameron loved Evelyn unconditionally. Because even the love of Evelyn's life, Celia St. James herself did not accept Evelyn for who she was. And I rest my case. <laughs> All right, after all is said and done, we're now in the part of the book session where we're going to talk about the parts that made me cry. So my first light blue tab in this book, or part that made me cry, I already mentioned it, this was when Harry died. Again, he was my favorite character. And seeing him go so tragically like that with a car crash, and it was because he was intoxicated, because he was in such a bad place was painful. That was not a death that he deserved. Pretty cruel of you, TJR, to kill off my favorite character. You just like the rest of them. I'm talking to you, George R. R. Martin. I'm talking to you, JK Rowling. I'm talking to you, Lee Bardugo. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> the second part that made me cry is when Celia dies. Contrary to the last 10 minutes of this book session, I actually cried when Celia died. I know that I made it pretty clear that I disliked her. You know, not my favorite character. But seeing Evelyn lose the love of her life was definitely painful. I loved Celia as a character through Evelyn and the way she loved her. Because the way she loved Celia was just out of this world. It was something else. It ran so deeply and it was so tender so true all her life she loved celia so celia died in chapter 60 page 350 and i'll just read a little bit of an excerpt of this chapter because there's a part here i want to tell you which part which line made me cry so okay she was in my arms in our bed it was summer the windows were open to let in the breeze the room smelled of sickness but if he focused hard enough you could still smell the salt from the ocean. Her eyes went still. I called out for the nurse who had been downstairs in the kitchen. I think I stopped making memories again in those moments when Celia was being taken from me. I only remember clinging to her, holding her as best as I could. I only remember saying, we didn't have enough time. There, right, right? right there, right there. 
when Evelyn said we didn't have enough time. Ooh. I cried like a baby. Mostly because a supercut of their relationship just went through my brain when she said that. And I know how they lost so much time to that first fight they had because of Mikariva. And of course that other fight they had because of Dawn. And it just kills me because they could have had more time if it weren't for those big fights. And I could just feel the regret weighing heavily in Evelyn's heart. After that line, she also said, It felt as if by taking her body, the paramedics were ripping out my soul. That was how deep her pain was. And what is so tragic and painful about Evelyn Hugo is she was all alone at the end of her life. She said in page 358, that's how my story ends. With the loss of everyone I have ever loved. With me in a big, beautiful Upper East Side apartment, missing everyone who ever meant anything to me. It's clear that I don't love this apartment. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> that I don't care about all my money. That I couldn't give a rat's ass if people think I'm a legend. That the adoration of millions of people never warmed my bed. When you write the ending, Monique, tell everyone. That it is the people I miss. Tell everyone that I got it wrong. That I chose the wrong things most of the time. When you write the ending, Monique, make sure the reader understands that all I was ever really looking for was family. <laughs> make sure it's clear that I found it. Make sure they know that I am heartbroken without it. <laughs> yeah that's this we're we're on the third light blue tab this is the other part where i cried when evelyn said those words and when evelyn reveals to monique that the man in the car with harry when he died the one that evelyn left behind was actually monique's father james grant this book had a lot of plot twists enough for seven books but out of all of the plot twists harry dying evelyn being bisexual how evelyn decides to kill herself at the end out of all the plot twists this one was the one i didn't see coming it was such a huge shock and most of the time when i'm reading a book i can sense a plot twist or i could see it forming but this I only knew on the page it was revealed. And on chapter 65, when Monique reads the letter that her father wrote to Harry, the letter that Evelyn has kept all these years, I wept. And as a treat to you, dear crybaby, I'm gonna read you that letter. Dear Harry, I love you. I love you in a way that I never thought possible. I have spent so much of my life thinking that this type of love was a myth. And now here it is, so real I can touch it. And I finally understand what the Beatles were singing about all those years. I do not want you to move to Europe, but I also know that what I may not want may very well be the best thing for you. So despite my desires, I think you should go. I cannot and will not be able to give you the life you're dreaming of here in Los Angeles. 
I cannot marry Celia St. James, although I do agree with you that she is a stunningly beautiful woman. And if I'm being honest, I did nurse a small crush on her in royal wedding. But the fact remains that, though I have never loved my wife the way I love you, I will never leave her. I love my family too much to fracture us for even a moment of time. My daughter, whom I desperately hope you can one day meet, is my reason for living. And I know that she is happiest with me and her mom. I know that she will live her best life only if I stay where I am. Angela is perhaps not the love of my life. I know that now, now that I've felt real passion. But I think in many ways, she means to me what Evelyn means to you. She is my best friend, my confidant, my companion. I admire the forthrightness with which you and Evelyn discuss your sexuality, your desires, but it is not how Angela and I work. And I'm not sure I'd want to change that. We do not have a vibrant sex life, but I love her the way one loves a partner. I would never forgive myself for causing her pain. And I would find myself desperate to call her, to hear her thoughts, to know how she is every moment of every day if I was not with her. My family is my heart, and I cannot break us up. Not even for the type of love that I have found with you, my Harry. Go to Europe, if you believe it is what is best for your family. And know that here, in Los Angeles, I am with mine, thinking of you. Forever yours, James. I don't know how I got through that without crying. <laughs> Remember the first time I was reading through this, I couldn't believe what was happening. I really had no idea that Evelyn and Monique's life would intertwine this way. I knew that at some point we'll find a connection between Monique and Evelyn, but I had no idea it was going to be through this. And the way I was crying in this part was not because I felt sad or heartbroken. I kind of just felt for Monique. I wouldn't say that they were white hot angry tears, but a part of me was mourning because all her life, all that she knew about the way her father died was a lie. And it was a lie protected by Evelyn. This woman that she's been sitting with for weeks and the way this story winded down to this moment. I can imagine why she would be so angry. Because at this point in the book, Monique was not antagonizing Evelyn at all. She understood Evelyn and why she did the things she did. And then Evelyn reveals this and a rug is pulled under Monique. This is definitely a very complicated truth to process. And I understand the fury that she felt towards Evelyn. Honestly, towards the end, I didn't know where to place what Monique felt about Evelyn. Because she was torn between hating her so much, but also feeling grateful about everything that she learned from her. And of course, we also find out at the end of the book that another reason why Evelyn chose Monique is because Monique would understand Evelyn's choice to take her own life because you know Monique wrote that article about physician assisted suicide so Evelyn knew that she could trust Monique to understand her decision Evelyn wants to die as she lived 
entirely on her own terms. In page 377, Monique says, No matter how I may feel about Evelyn, I know she's in her right mind. I know she is okay. I know she has the right to die as she lived entirely on her own terms, leaving nothing to faith or to chance, but instead holding the power of it all in her own hands. The way the last 50 pages of this book is Celia's death and then Evelyn going through Connor's death and then Evelyn revealing to Monique that the man Harry was with the night he died was Monique's father and then finding out that Evelyn was actually going to take her own life in the end. This book really didn't give me any room to breathe. (laughs) It goes without saying that it was definitely hard to go through the last parts of the book. But to end the session on a lighter note, I just want to read to you this little blurb (laughs) that I wrote after I finished reading this book, literally like right after. So this was on January 21. This was the second book I read after my years and years of having a reading slump. I wrote, there's nothing like reading the last page of a book. I open at the close. Sometimes it feels like I'm being apparated back to the real world. And that sudden reel back to reality stuns me, like whiplash. And I'm quiet, and I let the story that I've just read sink in. Sometimes it feels like I've just woken up from a dream. A little disoriented and contemplative. It's really hard to articulate. This is not a review of the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. This is me falling back into love with reading. I thought I had lost it long ago. And through the years, I tried in earnest to find my way back to it. At last, I have been reunited with my romance with reading, and it brings me so much joy. So if you ask me what this book means to me, (laughs) here we go, we're going to cry. This book brought me back. This book made me fall in love with reading again. And yes, I loved When Breath Becomes Air. Of course, of course I do. But this one was really the one that swept me off my feet. And I knew the moment I closed this book that reading was going to be such a big part of my life again. And that made me so happy. If you made it this far through the episode, I think you know exactly what I mean about how reading is the greatest joy. Especially now in such difficult and dark times, reading has been my saving grace. I haven't had an adventure in so long. And I'm grateful for books because I can escape to different worlds and different stories and be with different characters in the comfort and safety of my own bedroom. And reading has definitely pulled me out of such a slump because of the pandemic and how bad it is here in the Philippines. It was getting really hard for me. It was getting really gray. And reading put back all the color in my life. And it even led me to making this podcast. And led me to you. And you're another thing I'm grateful for. Alright, that wraps up book session number two the seven husbands of evelyn hugo by taylor jenkins reed if you want to talk about the seven husbands of evelyn hugo some more with me feel free to dm me on instagram at the crybaby book club or if you want to talk with other book club members you can also comment on my most recent post of me posing with the book you can comment there and we can start a conversation and hopefully other members would jump in on the discussion 
The next book we're going to talk about is Six of Crows by Leigh Bardugo. And I'm so excited to have that book session because not only is it my favorite series right now, but for book session number three, I'm finally going to have a guest on the Crybaby Book Club. Our first guest is a very, very, very special person. She is the Harry Cameron to my Evelyn Hugo or vice versa. And I'm so excited for you guys to meet her because you guys are going to love her. I just know it. So if you want to come prepared to the next book session, make sure you pick up a copy of Six of Crows and start reading. If you want more of the Crybaby Book Club, you can follow us on Instagram at the Crybaby Book Club. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Crybaby Book Club, but it's empty right now. I definitely pay more attention to our Instagram account. And if you want to reach me personally, that would be lovely. My Instagram is at Olatheola. I have made some wonderful friends from the first episode and I'm looking forward to reconnecting with those friends and also making new ones so that is all for book session number two so long bookworms till next time please go make yourself a warm beverage to soothe yourself and maybe a human or a pet to hug i'm sending you love and light always please stay safe and healthy wear a mask at all times and get yourself vaccinated if you can see you next time